Welcome to the GreatAMovies.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. I write movie and film reviews at LarryAndFishers.com. And once again, joined by Adam Austin and Alec Toombs. They both write for GreatAMovies.com, and they also uh, contribute to TheFilmYap.com. So we have a limited amount of time today, so we want to make sure we get in as much as we can. So welcome, Adam. Good to see you again. Good to see you, Larry. And Alec, always good to see you as well. Good to see you, gentlemen. Thank you. So uh, without any further ado, uh, there is one film Adam has recently seen, and it's one I've been sort of looking forward to. It's out of the uh, studio called A24, which has uh, put out some some high-quality films of the past. The film is Zola. So is A24 continuing to uh, put out the best? So A24 is one, and I think everyone here is fans of that movie uh, studio. Uh, I enjoy their work. They had a best picture winner with Moonlight. They've done a lot of quirky independent fare, like uh, Spring Breakers, Hereditary, um, you know, Lady Bird, uh, and, you know, uh, Uncut Gems. So they always do something a little interesting, maybe something a little edgy. And Zola is a movie that has been under production with them for five years. Actually, Frank James Franco was originally set to be the director, and he was dropped, which is probably appropriate since he has had some accusations of sexual misconduct, and the film has to deal with sex workers. So probably not the best director to helm this. So um, instead, they've got a relative uh, newcomer uh, leading this movie. And uh, it stars, and I'm going to pull some, Taylor Page and Riley Keough. And if you don't know about Riley Keough, she is the granddaughter of Elvis Presley. You might have seen her in Logan Lucky, American Honey, and a couple things. Um, it was interesting. I looked up, she's had both Michael Jackson and Nicolas Cage as stepfathers. So uh, she's had, she's seen some weird things probably in her life. And so that probably made it appropriate for her to star as the eccentric um, stripper turned sex worker in Zola. It is a weirder than life story based on a Twitter feed back in 2015. And uh, this was an epic story told through tweets back when it was only 140 characters. Um, the, uh, the director uh, what's her name? I'm going to pull it up. Janitza Bravo. That's why I had to look it up. It's a little different name. J-N-I-C-Z-A. Um, she does a really good job with a nice stylish look to this movie. It's fun. Uh, it's got some nice sounds to it. Different sounds of the cell phone chirping and pinging almost sound like the musical background. Uh, all the actors have a lot of charisma. Uh, charisma. The only downside I have to say to this movie is I was not familiar with this Twitter thread before seeing it. And I was a little lost. Uh, and when I also a little wondering, what's the big deal? Something that feels epic as told through tweets may not feel as big enough or cinematic enough when told on screen. So uh, maybe they could have done a little more to capture the voice of the original uh, Twitter user, uh, Azia Wells, who went by the name Zola, but it's it's interesting movie. It's it's worth a watch. I'd probably say a stream as opposed to head to the theater. 
uh, but I gave it three out of five stars. So was it because it highlighted uh, the Twitter feed and not uh, more compelling stories? Is that why you marked it down some? Uh, I marked it down because I felt like it was a movie that if you just watched it and never looked up anything online about the story, I think your enjoyment would be a little uh, lessened. And so I think a movie on its own, like a movie should stand on its own. It shouldn't have to, you know, you watch a true crime movie and some of them are meant for the fans who've read everything about the true crime story. You've seen that with some of these true crime stories uh, or documentary, but someone who knew nothing about it watches it and is not as enjoyable. It isn't enjoying it as much. So from that perspective, I had to mark it down a little bit. I read your review, Adam. Uh, I think I remember you referencing an article about the uh, Twitter feed from yeah, Rolling, Rolling Stone. Stone. Would you recommend I read that article prior to seeing the movie? I actually, I, I actually do think. Usually I would say reading reading about the story may spoil it, which is why I didn't. I didn't want to sure. know what happened. Sure. In this case, actually doing some research before watching it would heighten your enjoyment. And that says something of the filmmaker. Filmmakers should make sure you can see it and understand it without going out and doing research ahead of time. So <laughs> and that would be my view. So it's a kind of a half If you were a fan of this feed, I'd say go watch it. Okay. So it's a half-hearted yes. Uh, maybe better off to wait for a stream than a theater on Zola, which is sad because A24 normally is, is high quality. Maybe not quite what up to expectations yeah. this time. I, I can't say it's a bad movie. It's made for... It's already made for fans of this. So that's what I would say. Right. Let's, I'll go back to you in a minute, uh, Adam. Alec, I want to ask you about the film that's getting the most buzz in the film industry right now as far as box office. That's Fast and Furious 9. You've seen it. I've seen some, um, I've seen some reviews that are not that great. A few people liked it. Most didn't. Very curious uh, about your take on it. Yeah, I'm happy to touch on the movie with you briefly, but I'd like to go more in depth on a uh, another movie that I'm actually finishing the review of, uh, Fear Street, uh, Part One, 1994. But uh, I'll get back to that in a minute. Um, the F9 went and saw it last night. Uh, took my wife and my uh, little brother Marshawn to the movie. Uh, we all enjoyed it. It, it is um, dumb as all get out, but uh, it's fun and it's entertaining. You probably already know if you're in the audience for this movie or not. Um, it's kind of more the same, bigger, dumber, louder, longer. I mean, the movie's two hours, 25 minutes long. You're either down with it or you're not. I had Alec, fun. I heard, I heard with this movie in, in past entries, you were asked to suspend your disbelief. This time you're being asked to expel your disbelief and kick it out of the building and never let it back I'm in. I'm sure all these filmmakers didn't do well in physics class in high school. Um, <laughs> they, it's is not, it really? Uh, it's I heard it's called the Moonraker of F9 movies because they what do they strap a car to a rocket? Yeah, they do. It's a, it's a it's a, a Fiero. They they strap a Fiero to a rocket and send it into space. The guys are like duct taping their suits. Um, it's absurd. <laughs> I have not heard the term Fiero for a very long time. I had a friend of mine that actually had one, but that was a long time ago, as you might imagine. I think the rocket's the only way that thing could move. So F9, I think what you're saying is if you like the first eight, nine is fine. Um, I would rank it somewhere in the middle of the franchise. I, I gave it, and I was probably in a good mood because I was with uh, my mentee and my wife, um, I gave it four out of five stars. It is not a good movie, but it's a thoroughly enjoyable one. Okay. I like these movies generally. 
Okay, since that was a brief one, let's uh, let's hear about Fear Street. You are uh, working on a review of that. Tell us about this film. Yeah, uh, Fear Street is the uh, Fear Street Part One, 1994, is the first of uh, three movies that are going to be coming out on Netflix in these uh, next couple weeks. Uh, this one comes out Friday, July 2nd. It is uh, co-written and directed by a woman named Lee Janiak. Uh, she made a horror movie uh, like seven years ago called Honeymoon, which I haven't seen. It stars uh, Rose Leslie, who was a cast member of Game of Thrones. Uh, this is based off a series of books by R.L. Stein, uh, which I read as a uh, tween and teenager. So I was kind of pumped for these. Uh, Fear Street are kind of more adult skewing or uh, slightly harder core horror stories than uh, Stein's Goosebumps series of books. And uh, the movie lives up to this. It's an R-rated movie. It is graphic. There is sex. Uh, it was a... Uh, a stroll down nostalgia lane for me. It felt like a 90s horror movie. It was like Scream or The Craft. The soundtrack is awesome. They have all sorts of killer 90s needle drops in it. The young actors, most of whom I was unfamiliar with, were really good and very likable. Um, there are awesome kills in the movie. I am eagerly anticipating watching the second and third installments in the weeks to come. So is this a film that uh, lends itself to watching on Netflix at home, or uh, is it better seen in a theater if that ever comes around? It's only going to be available on Netflix. I know Once Upon a Time, it was supposed to be released by 20th Century Fox, um, but the way things are going anymore, uh, our industry is pretty uh, liquid and things move around quickly. So there's, um, there's no plan for it to be in theaters, is what I'm hearing you say. None whatsoever. It'll be available exclusively on Netflix. I mean, you can make a home theater, Larry. We can start charging <laughs> people to come over to your house. I have a big enough screen. I don't need a home theater. I'm, I'm if fine. If you're a teenager or a teenager at heart, or, or folks like Adam and I who are teenagers in the 90s, I think the movie will appeal to you, just so long as you're not too squeamish. So have you got a rating uh, for it yet? I would give it four out of five stars. I... Uh, I thought it was really fun, and uh, I like horror movies. I like slasher movies. That's why it delivered. And it's going to be on Netflix soon, I understand. Beginning Friday with okay. another movie coming each week. And we're recording this on Wednesday the 30th, so it'll be early July. Okay, Adam said if we get back to you, another film that's getting a lot of attention, Black Widow. Uh, it's opening soon, so tell us uh, how you feel about that one. So Black Widow comes out July 9th, and it has been delayed Quite a bit. Um, over a year ago, May 2020 was the original, early May 2020 is the, was the original release date. So this is 14 months after it was supposed to come out in theaters and obviously delayed because of COVID-19. So there's a lot of anticipation. Um, it's supposed to signal phase four, right? Four, right? We're in four of the MCU. Right. <laughs> um, basically the post-Infinity War where a lot of characters might have died off and we need to set up the next level. Um, this is, uh, of course, a story of and there's a spoiler. But if you haven't watched some of the Avengers movies, maybe you won't care about this anyways. But Black Widow does die in Avengers Endgame. So this is a prequel uh, giving away some of uh, her origin story um, while also telling a side story with the uh, characters from her past. Uh, and it does still tie into her motivations of why she sacrifices herself in Endgame. Um, it's uh, a film that has a great cast. David Harbour of Stranger Things plays 
uh, Red Guardian, who was her surrogate father figure, Rachel Wise, who is an Oscar winner, uh, plays her surrogate mother, who is another Russian spy. Uh, and then Florence Pugh, who is Oscar nominated for Little Women, steals the show as her little sister, Yelena, who's got the same kind of martial arts and attack skills that um, Black Widow has, but with a little more attitude and sass. Um, I really wanted to like this movie. It's got some really interesting themes about abandonment and survivor's guilt. Um, it's got some good acting. Uh, it's a character I like, but I cannot give it a good review um, for a number of reasons. One, it feels very reminiscent and, and not in a um, homage kind of way, more of in a copying kind of way of better movies and TV shows. Um, I felt like Manchurian Candidate was kind of ripped off. A lot of the uh, the Bond or, or Jason Bourne movies uh, were kind of ripped off here. Uh, and then even uh, the family dynamic really felt reminiscent of the Americans. Um, but all of those were done better. Uh, some of the acting and character scenes were, I thought, serviceable. I've heard others say they were embarrassing, but I, I thought they were serviceable. But here's the real thing that really let me down. The action scenes in Black Widow were not very good. Um, the special effects, I felt, were noticeable in the CGI. Um, Marvel movies have never had great hand-to-hand -hand combat. They've always relied more on special effects. It's, the hand-to-hand -hand combat is never as well orchestrated as a John Wick or a Mission Impossible movie. Um, and then at the end, they do this big climax uh, that felt way too big for a character that doesn't have any special effects. And it also felt like we had done it before. Not to give anything away, it's a, it's a third act set piece where you have characters falling through the sky and, and punching each other. And it felt, uh, I think, the fight on a top of a plane had already been done in some of the Avengers movies or in the Captain America movies. Um, I wanted to like this movie. Um, but it just... And maybe I'm judging it harshly because some of the other Marvel movies are so great. So this is coming from a fan of Marvel movies and coming a fan of the Black Widow character. Um, but you know what? I kind of shouted at the end and I was being kind of a smart aleck. I said, that just should have been a TV show. It should have been six <laughs> episodes on Disney+. Plus. I would have liked it. I could have stayed home. It would have been better. Just make them TV shows. Don't even make movies anymore, Larry. Just yeah. make Marvel TV shows nonstop. Hard to believe that a Marvel production would have special effects that did not live up to it's the expectation. It's not like they didn't have time to polish them. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they had oh, sorry, 14 ahead, months Alec. to make it better. Alec, you have something. Do you think you might have had uh, warmer feelings toward the movie had you not been waiting 14 months for it? Yes. I mean... Am I unfairly judging it based on the weight and the quality of the other? Just take the weight out. I would have still judged it harshly based on it just came after Avengers Endgame, which was a huge spectacle. Right. This one needed to bring things back down to earth a little bit, which is understandable. But it didn't do it in the right way. If it was going to focus on character and a more realistic story, um, maybe it needed to dive into that a little bit more than it did. Are you, you're saying Marvel and realistic story in the same sentence? I mean, you could have done it. I mean, uh, I don't know. Um, what would I think you rate the movie? Two out of five. Ooh. Ooh. 
But you mentioned something else I want to ask you about, Adam, because you talked about the lack of originality. Don't you think that's true in a lot of films today, particularly in the superhero realm, where there just aren't that many original ideas left? This one could have been good, though. I mean, look at this way. Even a film that it really reminded me of that was better. Remember Red Sparrow with Jennifer mm-hmm. Lawrence? Mm-hmm. Like I was going to make a joke. I should do a double bill of the two of them. I mean, Red Sparrow <laughs> was a better movie. I thought Red uh, Sparrow like was movie, a good actually. film. Yeah, yeah. Red but, Sparrow uh, was a different kind of film, don't you think? Yeah, but I mean, Black Widow, I was just not that impressed with. It could have been more like, I think that to me, the number one Marvel movie they've ever made is is Captain America Winter Soldier, where it felt like a spy thriller. You had Robert Redford. This could have had some of those same elements. You're getting into the Russians and the spies and brainwashing. Um, it, it could have been. So I'm maybe judging it on they did that story well. And yes, Winter Soldier had some unbelievable special effects and stuff like this. So I expect some of that and still some of that in Black Widow. But Lawrence Pugh doesn't catapult it above two stars. I imagine she's probably really good in the movie. She's good. Someone said. Uh, well, you know, they got to make a sequel so Florence Pugh can have more airtime. And I said, ah, don't make a sequel. Just put her in a TV show. I'm serious. Just make TV shows. I will watch the TV show. I will watch every TV show they make. I will watch She-Hulk. I will watch uh, this uh, Moon Knight thing with Oscar Isaac. I will. I don't care. I will watch, uh, you know, Spider-Woman. I don't, I don't know if that's something. Uh, we'll make up shows and I will watch them. So but, the way I you sound, know. the way you sound, this should be on the CW network, not on a movie theater screen. So, well, maybe if they they don't want me in charge of making these shows, Larry, but <laughs> but they should keep making like Marvel content. Huh. And you know, here's the sad thing: Black Widow wasn't that good, but I don't know. I might still like watch it again. I may even pay that thirty bucks. To watch it on Disney Plus, even though I didn't send it, was okay, that good? Wait, wait a minute. Well, no, no, you, gave it, you gave it Marvel's two out of five stars, and you want to pay thirty bucks to see it again? Well, I mean, look, I, I, I didn't really care for Captain Marvel, and I've seen it four times, um, probably. You know, Marvel—they have our wallet, Larry. They've memorized our credit card numbers. They know you're more. You're, 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 you're much, have uh, led him the right way. You're, you're much more into Marvel than I am. And I was a DC fan growing up as a kid, and, and even those have kind of gone off the reservation for me. So uh, anyway, I want to talk about a couple of things. I'll give you guys a chance to, to chime in a, again before we're done. Uh, Alec, you may remember we talked about in treatment last time, and yes, uh, it is finally done. Two things. Number one, uh, Gabriel Byrne did not make a cameo. They kind of teased it. It did not happen. I'll say that much. But what happens in this is that you have like six weeks, and uh, you have four episodes a week, each episode about a different patient, and then, of course, the therapist herself, the the fourth. And so what you have of these continuing stories, now that all, all three of those patients that Dr. Taylor had in this case uh, have all had their stories wrapped up, except Dr. Taylor. They clearly have an idea they want another season of in treatment because they have not wrapped up her idea. So what they'll do with a new in treatment series that they decide to do that is to bring in three new patients and the Dr. Taylor saga continues because she had a child at age 15. It was a son. She's debated trying to get a hold of this son. 
Uh, her father has just uh, died recently. She was an alcoholic, hadn't drank, hadn't had drink in nine years. When her father died, and she started thinking about the son she never knew. She starts drinking again. So there are all these plot lines, and none of them really get tightened up at the end of, of, of that series. So In Treatment on HBO is still a very good series. If you haven't seen it, I'd recommend it. Uh, it's always on HBO Max. You can find it easily there all the way back to the first three seasons with Gabriel Byrne in the lead role. But it's a good film, and but I, a good uh, series on HBO, a series of uh, stories, and uh, just wanted to let Alec know. Now, Gabriel Byrne decided to, to pass on this one. I do want to talk about one classic film that I had a chance to see, and I'm really glad I did. I hadn't seen it for a very long time. It's a film that John Ford, the legendary director, produced and directed. The film is called The Last Hurrah, and it's with Spencer Tracy. He's the, the lead character. It's about a mayor of a city that has decided that he's going to make one last campaign for mayor before he retires. And it's all about that campaign. It's all about his nephew. He's invited to kind of come in and watch the campaign. And it's all about the old-style politics. And even in 1958, when this film was shown in the book that it was based on, was written in the 1950s, there was sort of an... Um, uh, a tip of the hat to the fact that politics was changing, that the retail politics of yesteryear was going by the wayside and people had to get on radio and they had to get on television. Uh, but just the way this fellow had come out of an ethnic neighborhood, very poor, ended up getting involved in politics and, and becoming the mayor of that city and how he was able to uh, to work the various parts of being a mayor and, and city politics, something that uh, Adam would know a little something about. So I enjoyed this, seeing this film again after many years of not seeing it. Um, then if you have a chance to see it, it's called The Last Hurrah, starring Spencer Tracy, directed by, produced by John Ford. Um, one of those classic films I really, because I like politics and, and I, I love uh, good storytelling. And the story here was, was great. All right, uh, let me, Alec, I know you've got one or two more films you want to talk about. Uh, we have a few minutes here. Why don't you uh, get into that? Um, I'm not necessarily wanting to talk about anything in depth right now. I, I will plug a few, few reviews I have uh, coming out. Fear Street, uh, Part 1, 1994, will be up uh, this afternoon, uh, June 30th. I have uh, two reviews coming out tomorrow, uh, one for a Chris Pratt sci-fi action vehicle that's debuting on Amazon Prime on Friday called The Tomorrow War. I'm embargoed on the movie right now, so I can't discuss it, but I will have a review up tomorrow. I'm also going to be reviewing the uh, new Steven Soderbergh uh, direct-to-HBO Max movie, No Sudden Move, which has a fantastic cast. I haven't watched the movie yet, but uh, Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, John Hamm, uh, Brendan Fraser... Julia Fox from Uncut Gems, Amy Simetz, Noah Jupe from the uh, Quiet Place movies, and uh, Kieran Culkin from Succession are all in it. I'm very much looking forward to watching the movie. Very good. Now, Adam, I was looking for, you know, The Purge is coming out this weekend, but we're and recording this on, on June 30th, Wednesday. And I, I noticed I was searching online, and what I have found is that apparently nobody got a screener of the Purge. Does that tell got, you anything? No, I got no, I got it last night. Well, I was going to say nobody's posted a review yet. Apparently, it's, it maybe. Well, we just got it yesterday, so I mean, I guess I don't know. I'll have to check when the embargo is. Um, I hadn't a chance to watch it when I got home from last night. I had some things to do, and. Uh, you know, I can't stay up till two in the morning anymore. You Larry. didn't want to watch it with Madeline. 
Well, it wasn't even that. I just, I couldn't, you know, now I have to get up early in the morning. I can't stay up as late as I used to, Larry. Life can be but, tough, you know, I understand. I know. But, but uh, ahead, I'm sorry. But, but if you are interested in the purge, which I know Larry is a big uh, purge head. Uh, he, no, Alec is the big purge head in the, in the group. That, that's true. He's always binging the purge. So, but uh, he, if you want to read about the purge, I have two long form articles on uh, the film Yap, and I need to get those posted on Grade A Movies too, and on our Substack email. One of them I analyzed why the purge would not work, which I know Larry thought was a big duh statement. Of course, the purge wouldn't work. But I get into some criminal justice statistics. I drop some pie charts and graphics in there. And I talk about uh, all the different reasons why people misunderstand the motivations behind crime. Yeah, and I think – uh, yep, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're yeah, and then, then I have a part two where I talked about the psychological aspect where the idea of this cathartic release that is being – and obviously it's a whole ploy in the movie. But I talk about uh, – if psychologists talk about acting, if you have anger inside of you and you act on the anger, it's not always a release like people say. It actually heightens whatever feelings you already had inside. I read your first one. I haven't had a chance to read the second one on, on, on your crime and the yeah. purge and all that. But one, I, I'll just give you a, a uh, to wrap this up. Just a really yeah. quick personal observation because I covered uh, Indianapolis crime in the early 1980s, working mm-hmm. for Network Indiana and the old wire radio when it existed. And what I found in those days, most murders were like. Uh, acts of passion. Somebody got upset. Mm-hmm. They're having an argument. It could be an illegal uh, gambling. We didn't have legal gambling in those days. It could be an illegal gambling game. It could be a bar fight. It could be a, a domestic dispute. Most of your murders came because somebody was in, you know, just, just in a high emotional moment. Most of your property crimes were pre-planned. That has sort of changed in, in since then. And it was the beginning of the drug trade. When the drug trade became so... Um, just so all-encompassing, sadly, I think you see more of these murders being planned out than you used to. So things have changed a lot since I was a crime yep. reporter, which is a lot further back than you were. So I I'm, I'm find a lot of your statistics fascinating, and, and it brings me back to how the nature of crime has, has changed since 1983. I mean, there's two reasons uh, that murders occur. Uh, it's because of money. And uh, passion and that passion is usually a connection between people. And that's because only 12 percent of homicides the, are the murderer and the uh, victim uh, strangers. But so, so most people know each other. And so it's either because you have a conflict or a personal problem, your, your husband or wife cheated or somebody owes you money. So there's either that personal conflict or there's, it's pure money. Maybe you don't have a, an emotional thing, but you know someone, they have money. It's a robbery that turns into a homicide. Yeah, and when it's, when it's money, it's normally pre-planned. If it's emotional like, uh, like a, a domestic dispute, it tends to be something that gets out of control. Not in every case, but that's the general yeah. thing. So what I'm seeing is there's more of these money uh, murders, sadly, and, and serious injuries that have been happening in recent. So your statistics, I thought, were very important in light of what I've seen. We're about done, gentlemen. Uh, we only got a couple of minutes left. How about a quick hit from uh, Alec? Comment about anything. I just wanted to ask Adam real quick. Uh, have you seen all four of the Purge movies that preceded this new one? Yes, I have not watched the TV show. 
Do you have a a favorite of the four thus far? I think I like the third one. Okay. I'm just curious. I like Uh, the second one's my favorite. I think the third one delves into the uh, political aspect of it most. Um, But I think the second one, yeah. One thing I'll say about the Purge movie is that it is a films that besides the first one, uh, the uh, the parts two, three, and four have incredible amount of diversity. Uh, a lot of people of color in starring roles uh, in the movies. So, I mean, obviously it deals with uh, racism as a central theme, uh, right. but it's a, it's a great acting opportunity and they get a lot of, uh, and they don't always, there are some big names in them, but they don't, they're not all big names. So th- there's some interesting cast in these movies. The new one has to deal with the border, though, and immigration. I was about so to say really, immig- immigration is going to be the issue in the new one, is from what I have read. Yeah, so that they, will add they another dig right into that. Yeah. And the one thing about the politics in this in this purge movies, they're never subtle. Like <laughs> they hit you over the head with them. I, yeah, so you'll you'll get the message right away. Well, we'll be talking about the purge in, in future podcasts. I want to thank uh, our our gradeamovies.com writers Adam Lawson and Alec Toombs. You'll also see their work in thefilmyap.com. You can read reviews and of course the occasional commentary from each one including Adam's commentary on the purge and its uh, meaning in, within the realm of criminal justice and psychology. So thank you very much for listening and watching to the GreatAMovies.com podcast. So please be safe and be kind.